Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Joker, which came out this year, and The King of Comedy, which came out in 1982. The connection being that they are both about comedians, or wannabe comedians, uh, with a much more darker trajectory than perhaps a comedy film would suggest. Both films. And they also have the connection of starring, or having in their films, Robert De Niro. Uh, And I'm sure there are many more connections to be made. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, Joker and The King of Comedy. Uh, Sarah, would you like to give us an introduction to The King of Comedy? I sure would. So, The King of Comedy, 1982, one of uh, Martin Scorsese's early works with the delightful and wonderful Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro plays... Uh, as you say, a, a wannabe stand-up comic uh, by the name of Rupert Pupkin, um, whose name is uh, continuously uh, mispronounced Rupert Pumpkin and all, all types like that. Um, he lives at home with his mother and uh, has something of an infatuation with the um, talk show host and comic uh, Jerry Langford, who is played by Jerry Lewis. So already in-jokes happening, because Jerry Lewis was an actual guy playing another actual kind of guy. Uh, And Rupert Pupkin uh, sort of ingratiates himself into uh, Jerry Langford's world and his intense efforts to gain some screen time. Excellent. William, tell us about Joker. Alrighty, so Joker is a sort of origin story for Batman's arch nemesis, the Joker. Uh, it kind of follows a very similar trajectory to, to King of Comedy in that Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, um, in a, a very, very in-depth Joaquin-y kind of way, mm. is a st- or wannabe stand-up comedian mm. living in his mother's, I guess, abode, looking after his mother. Uh, and also has an infatuation for, and this time, the, the Robert De Niro character who plays the Jerry Lewis role. Mm. He's a talk show host that is their, their favorite TV program. And he, he really wants to be on the show. And it kind of dovetails Arthur's desire for, for stardom or for, for just people to, to notice him with the growing social unrest that's happening in Gotham City that, I don't know about you guys, but kind of reflects our own yeah yeah big time mm. yeah a lot of connections both uh, well most of them uncomfortable mm-hmm. cool okay so it's worth stating that we will be discussing both films uh in, in, in their entirety meaning that we will be talking about spoilers so if you haven't seen either film then i suggest pausing this episode and, and coming it back to it at a later date and i also think if you have seen joker and enjoyed it and haven't seen The King of Comedy, I would highly suggest you go and watch that uh, just to just to understand some of the DNA of Joker because it very much is pulling very clearly from The King of Comedy uh, in, in many different ways. So yeah, you've been warned. Spoilers abound or spoilers ahead. Uh, cool. Which which film do, do we want to start with? Can I can I start perhaps by saying that um, when we decided probably a month ago that we were going to look at these two films, um, we sort of almost pull, pulled King of Comedy out of a out of a, a hat, didn't we? And um, and then very swiftly found out that Todd Phillips, the director of Joker, had in fact used King of Comedy as a very very direct reference. What I found out subsequently, a friend of mine um, writes about film from Los Angeles and had the great honor of being able to interview Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix. 
and uh, and I believe that uh, he put it to Joaquin. Oh, it's interesting that um, Phillips really was uh, looking back to King of Comedy. And Joaquin Phoenix wasn't, I don't know if he wasn't aware of the film, but he didn't have any clue at all that that was um, one of Todd Phillips' reference points. And so I thought, how fascinating that we obviously are able, and the rest of the world has made these very clear connections. Um, And yet Joaquin Phoenix has put in what I'm going to propose is absolutely a powerhouse performance uh, in a film that he had no idea um, was was riffing so strongly on a, another piece of work, particularly a quite significant piece of work by the very significant Martin Scorsese. So uh, it'll be interesting to unpack this, um, but of course some unpacking has already been done, at very least on Todd Phillips' part. Mm. Do you guys remember when Martin Scorsese was actually attached to direct Joker? What? I, I remember there was a, a period of time where Warner Brothers was kind of pitching this this you know Joker prequel slash origin story. And Scorsese, his name was definitely in the hat. And I think later on, it was much more of a producer role. And then he was doing something else. So, But wouldn't that have been crazy? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and considering from my understanding of what I've read about Joker, uh, sorry, mm. not Joker, King of Comedy... Both uh, Scorsese and De Niro have said that it's one of the hardest films they made. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was just the draining, the draining nature of creating that film. I think to create the real sense of unease in the King of Comedy right. took a lot of emotional energy. So, right. and then for it to become a flop as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't successful. I no. didn't even know it existed until I think either William or Sarah, one of you, mentioned it. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I didn't even know he made a film <laughs> called that at that time. Um, but it's interesting that it would be something that he could potentially come back to, both mm. Scorsese and De Niro. It would yeah. be interesting to know whether De Niro came on board on, on the project then, thinking that Scorsese was going to be directing it or, or, or not. Uh, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> it's, it's... Well, I was going to say it's terribly clever. I suppose it's not that originally clever, but it totally works that Robert De Niro has, has sort of graduated from being the Rupert Pupkin character <laughs> to the... Um, the nasty character, the one who uh, is quite sneering and unsupportive and ultimately unpleasant towards, in the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix's mm. Arthur Fleck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought Robert De Niro's performance in Joker, well, in both films, without doubt, but in Joker was absolutely stunning. Mm. I have, a, I think we probably all are, long-time lover of De Niro's work, but of late... Wouldn't give you tuppence for quite a lot of stuff. Mm. It feels very much like old man needing some retirement money. Let's wheel him out with his heft and he can do any old thing. Um, But in this film, I felt like he was really acting. He was a character. He had nuance, um, a real personality, um, more than a cameo. And also really relevant, um, given the the King of Comedy connection. So mm-hmm. that's it's delightful, and how wonderful that he did anyway do the project or stay on board mm-hmm. despite no Scorsese. Mm. And doesn't the film end King of Comedy end with his character becoming successful, if I remember correctly? Or he's, he's got his own show. He's got his yeah. own. You know, he's become something through the the publicity of of his stunt. Yeah, uh, Wait, the so Jerry. Are you saying these two movies are connected? Like well, in the timeline. Well, I mean, you know, I mean. It's it's, it's the, 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 the thematic connections there, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you could definitely read it, you know, apart from a name change, it's pretty much there. Mm-hmm. Except that 
Oh, I was going to say, except, of course, that Joker doesn't end happily. But I suppose, in its way, Joker doesn't end with Fleck getting his own comedy show, but it does at least end with him very clearly becoming somebody of significance. Yes. Oh, getting yeah. attention, and influence. what he craves, right? Yeah. I mean, he, it's the birth of the Joker, really, at the end there, with his yeah. horde of, of mask-wearing um, minions and him doing his sort of strange taekwondo-esque dance on the top of a yeah <laughs> on the top of a, a taxi a taxi and also the birth of the batman as well isn't it it's sort of you know which those were some of the parts in the film that made me go ah the most you didn't like it, the connection with well, Gotham and, I, yeah. I really i really was like i hate this film when it started to suggest that um he was the they brother. were brothers i was like boo and then when it kind of reneged on that i was like okay i'm, ha- I'm happy with that although well, there's still the possibility there's still the possibility, still the possibility i really there's don't still like the, that there's the, still the, the photograph, photograph. You, what photograph there's still the photograph that he finds after his mother's died that says um you have beautiful eyes love your smile yeah, or yeah. your eyes or something tw um thomas wayne so they leave it a little bit ambiguous. Yeah, which I just... I mean, I, I like that they're, they're going to make something ambiguous and you have to decide for yourself. But I just think it's such a crap, crappy... Yeah. I hate that sort of connecting... It's from, it's from Austin Powers 3, for goodness sakes. Like, oh, you two are actually secret brothers. Yeah. From... It's, it's oh. so funny that you... I mean, so it's not dumb. funny haha that you hate it because I really respect that you hate that and I know a lot of intelligent, like-minded people do. Me, what am I? I re- I'm like, oh, that's really clever. I like this because I hadn't read the comic books or anything. So I didn't, and I wanted to turn to my husband, but of course you don't talk in the cinema. But I wanted to turn to him to go, is this a thing? Um, holy mackerel, you know. Uh, so I don't mind at all that there is that ambiguity. And I actually really enjoyed, like, I didn't mind that he went up to the gates of Wayne Manor and spoke to the kid. I didn't mind that he went to Arkham Asylum. Um, and, and that there are, I like that kind of interweaving of stuff. Mm. Um, but I, 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 I don't mind, I don't mind the interweaving. I liked he went to see Little Batman Boy, whatever he was. Yeah. Um, and that little Batman little slid Batman down the little bat pole. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, because he was in the playground and you see him like going, woo. Yeah, my audience, my audience chuckled at that actually, which is funny because I feel as though it was only TV Bruce Wayne that used to come down a pole. Yeah, that's I right. don't feel like I've never seen Christian Bale come down a pole. So the little kid in me who used to watch old Batman, obviously not contemporaneously because yeah. I'm not that old, was like, even I get that Easter egg. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I just think they're trying to weave those things together. Like the Joker is not Batman's brother. Like that is yeah. not a thing. No. And try and bring more connections to their story but, but Jeremy like, doesn't need this what this what this film presupposes is what if they were oh so no dumb. look no so actually <laughs> let's get serious on this to be fair and I'm really interested in talking about the characterization of Arthur Fleck as uh, uh, either a mentally ill individual or a psycho or whatever you want to say I it he doesn't need to be Batman's brother all he needs is a motivation to hate Batman is the potential is his own belief that he might be the hard-done-by non-son living in the, the leaky apartments with the overbearing mother who's been gaslit her whole life, you could argue, because if Arthur wants to believe that his mother actually was forced uh, into be, thinking that she was crazy, do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, that's wonderful for motivation. So, I'd, I mean, he doesn't have to be Batman's brother. That would mm. be ridiculous. But I think it's important that he has that photograph to believe that there might still be a reason for him to, to hate the Waynes. Mm. I did enjoy the potential of him. I, I'm, 
I must start actually restart that because I did not enjoy him killing his mother. I was just like, oh my gosh, how more dark can this film get? But um, the the thought of him killing his mother and then finding out that actually she was telling the truth the whole time, like that was quite a nice little tension or twist there. And by, by twist, I mean determined being twisted. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to be honest, on a whole, I found this film really horrible. I found it really hard to watch. Mm. Um, and it might have been just the place I was in. Like, I'd just come off the back of a few, uh, a family member had died. I'd been at a funeral all week. I had another family member had celebrate their 50th birthday. So it'd been this very wonderful, mm. but also up and down time. I had my mm. sister's 30th birthday coming mm. up. So it's kind of this, 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 and I had a big trip, a big mm. holiday. My brain was sort of like all over the show. Mm. And then to step into this world, which was just so horrible. Um, and so dark and so um, it's like the premise of the movie is oh let's imagine if Joker was a real person and what how would he become how he became I'm like I don't really want to watch that I I, I don't really want to see how the comic book Joker if we were to take that as a real person Mm. how does somebody become that atrocious and I'm like for me it was it was a hard road I, I think my my problem with the movie, and I, I did quite like it, but my problem is kind of the way you put it, Jeremy. Like, how does the well, how does Arthur Fleck, as we see him at the beginning of the movie, become the Joker that we know and all love, right? Mm, mm. Um, and I don't think the movie ever gets there because the Joker, to me, and to a lot of people online, apparently, mm. is just is you know he's a malevolent force of chaos, yeah. right? He represents anarchy and uncertainty, and that's why he he's such a good foil for Batman mm. because Batman is logic. He's the world's greatest detective, and the only thing he can't figure out is what's actually driving the Joker. Mm. And the Joker is irrational, exactly. through and through. Yeah, right. right. Um, and I mean, we were talking about the Killing Joke uh, before recording, Jeremy. But one of the most famous parts of the Killing Joke is asking about the Joker's backstory, mm. and the Joker says something along the lines of, you know, it's it's multiple choice. Like, I, mm. it doesn't matter where I came from. Um, it's just who I am right now. And for the film to kind of give this version of events, and I know it's this isn't supposed to be a prequel to any specific Batman movie, but it just, by the end of the film, it really seemed to me that Arthur Fleck is a Joker-esque character that never reaches Joker potential, if mm. that makes sense. Like, he... He's someone who's not particularly smart. He's not particularly, you know, good at fighting or malicious. But he kind of just fails upwards through a series of mishaps. And he ends up commanding an entire legion of followers because he was in the right place in the right time, I guess. I, I hear what you're saying. The, the, the second part of what you say, I don't disagree with. He does fail upwards and it all does just sort of happen by default or by accident. But I absolutely disagree with you and all those people online who say... No, I don't disagree that you all say that the Joker is just meant to be a malevolent force of chaos because I do understand that that's how it is. But I I do disagree that there is no need for him to be uh, originally a human being who has found his way there. And I'll tell you for why. One reason is... We gave Batman a backstory. We we killed his parents. We gave him um, a reason to become the character that he became. And the second thing is, I don't believe in life or even in fantasy that anybody is the way they are just randomly and chaotically. So certainly for me, to be able to take a character who seems to be irrational random chaotic and is fearful in the as you say maybe not in the film joker but will become because we've all seen him as heath ledger and and jack nicholson and whomever for 
he is a scary character because of all that chaos and whatnot. But I don't believe that any of that ever comes out of nothing. And I actually really loved the film. Um, I went into it very trepidatious. I thought this can either be judged as um, handling mental illness in an appallingly stigmatizing way, and I'm going to have an issue with that, or I'm going to really worry about the fact that it might... Uh, and actually, I thought this before articles were coming out about people saying we're worried that there are going to be disenfranchised young white men going into cinemas in America and shooting the place up. Um, I was worried that Joker might represent something to, as you say, individuals of today in the society that we live in. But actually, I think it was really responsibly handled for various reasons, not least of which, by my count, he kills five people and all of them, there was a reason for it. So it wasn't chaotic. Any of it, not the mother, not the three blokes on the subway. And I'm now trying to remember who. Six. Oh, and the fifth fifth was the friend who had dobbed him in. Yeah. yeah. Who was the sixth? Robert De Niro. Well, who had been horrible to him and like humiliated. I mean, that was awful. We all watch that on the TV when he comes out and goes, look at this guy. And he thinks that's funny. I mean, that is terrible. That is brutal by even by today's standards. Or maybe, you know. Um, so, you know what I mean? So there was no chaos or, or kind of craziness in it. So then I came, I was in the film going, this is okay by my votes. <laughs> Most films kill far more random, nameless people. I mean, somebody likened it to Stallone's latest um, Rambo. Rambo, where mm. he just indiscriminately, you know, kills the world. Um, <laughs> and so therefore, I, I don't know, I personally felt that the uh, the background for, for the way that Fleck becomes who he is on the cusp of being by the end of the film, for me, felt credible mm. and it felt okay. Well, I, I will say, I'll speak to both of those points. The mm. first one is I'll, I'll speak to is that idea of going into the film nervous yeah. about it, uh, emboldening people into violent acts. And I was very nervous about that. I thought, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to like this movie. But I agree with you. I, I actually found the film to be far less concerning mm. um, because it really showed a clear... A broken person. It yes. showed where their trauma, the trauma, and where they right. come from, yes. and how this could result in, in making choices that you know are danger others, um, and and kind of seeing that journey. I thought, if somebody genuinely was at this place, well, it could almost be like a psychoanalysis experiment because yeah. they would have seen this character and they could empathise, but see where they've come from, yeah. and see where they end up. Yeah, um, it definitely highlighted to me the concern of. Films that are more violent, that with the less consequences, yes, you know, like, or less you, reasoning behind and it. And I think it made me made me re- think about the Dark Knight and how that is just so violent, and people just disappearing all over the show. Mm. You know, we we become very um, desensitized to violence because there's no blood, so it's mm. like, oh, you know, they're beating that person up and they've fallen over, and that's that's fine. Mm. Whereas in this film, like you said, there's only six people that are killed. Mm. They're incredibly brutal, mm. but it's the reality of what was going on. I mean, when he's bashing that guy's head, and I was like, far mm. out. Yeah, and actually, just as a tangent, there was another film that came out this year with somebody's head being bashed repeatedly against the wall, which was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen it? Oh, okay. But don't worry. I mean, look. I mean, it's a Tarantino yeah, film. I, I, I so expect heads to be bashed. Exactly. <laughs> but everyone's like woohooing, and it's okay. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it sort of is in a different spirit, I guess, and it earns that. Um, it earns that, it, or whatever. Yeah. And um, anyway, so back, so I didn't find that too concerning. And in regards to origin stories, for me, I mean, I love Batman. And there was a time before Marvel movies where you know you could generally talk to somebody and they would be able to name more Batman characters yes. and their villains than any other superhero. Yeah, yeah. So, totally. Um, and because they're just so iconic, they're yeah. just brilliant. Yeah. And and a good Batman story 
has the villain origin story <clears throat> in it. And in a good Batman story, the villain is a dark mirror to what Batman's dealing with. So if it's um, you know Two Face, it's about the duality of his, of who he is and the different way you can go. Um, you know, Mister Freeze is about how do you deal with the trauma of losing your family, um, or is know, it climate change? No, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, climate change is probably more poison ivy, right? It's like we live in this, this, this city, and 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 do we just let it all go back mm. to the to, to nature? Or you know, Joker, it's like. Do I just let things just happen? Mm. Do it just you know? Do we just let things happen? Like you said, logic and mm. things. Or do we just step back and just let chaos take its course? Mm. So for me, a good Batman story has that woven into it, mm. and it's always in response. It's always a mirror to what Batman's dealing with. Uh, I think the 1992 animated series it just does this so brilliantly because every episode, the different villains are, are highlighted. And what they're dealing with is woven into what Batman's dealing with. Usually he's at some sort of convention where he's giving money for this thing. Mm. Or Penguin, mm, for instance, mm, is about mm, wealth. Mm. Penguin is about money and wealth and that kind of thing. So so for me, that's that's already in a good Batman story. And when you take away the fact that it's a, it's a mirror, like you take away Batman from the story. Yeah. And, I'm, and I know he's in there as a kid, but that's not Batman. It's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You take that away, you, all you're left with is just this horrible story. And... And also, you've, there's no more fun left in it. Like the Joker is supposed to be fun yeah, but for all of his for all of his, his psycho psychoness. But I just did not. I, I, I sat through this movie so tense, but, and I did not have a good time. But isn't it okay for him not to be fun yet? Because he's he's not he's got no confidence, right? Until he's standing on that cab at the end in Times Square or wherever it was. No, it wouldn't be Times Square, it but was you know, Gotham, wasn't it? Right. But it was. It was pretty much New York. Yeah. And, until that happens, why should there be any fun? He's not ready for fun. He doesn't have his confidence. He doesn't even realize until that moment that he has accidentally caused this uprising. You know, and and it isn't just. I mean, it's not a superhero movie, and we haven't really said that, but I think we're all on board with the fact that this is not a DC superhero movie. Um, and so isn't it okay for it just to be a bloody good character study with one of the finest actors working today, mm. giving it his everything? I guess so. Not I for mean, me. you don't have to agree. You can say, <laughs> no, not for me. But you know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> well, with, the, with the fun angle, maybe, maybe the film could be more fun? Because I, I also agree, Jimmy. I, I found it quite dour. Um, in, in a way that even even the other super serious Zack Snyder movies have not been like there's always been not quipping but you know elements that are more bring more levity to proceedings and Joker has some of that for mm. example the um the scene in the apartment with the the chain lock mm. and that was you know but that's that, that was dark as but it was it? humorous right it was intentionally but it's also tension filled yes like we're all yes. like. Yeah. We're, we're getting the sense that this character is unreliable yeah. and he's just smashed the brains out of that guy and is he just going to take the mickey of this guy? But then I thought that compassion mm-hmm. and the, the fact that he can be a compassionate character in the right circumstances because I noticed earlier than that that do you remember when um, the guy, and I can't remember the joke and of course we wouldn't repeat it because it's inappropriate but he makes a really off cut, the, um, the other uh, comedian makes a really mean off-colour comment about the shorter comedian um, and Joaquin oh sorry not Joaquin even Arthur walks out of the room going ha 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 and then you see his face drop and you know he doesn't think that's funny and quite rightly he's actually quite politically correct about it and mm. so how lovely that he then saves that guy's life <laughs> pats him on the head or whatever he does that's quite affectionate and says go go along now I'm not going to hurt you and you believe it and you feel such relief and I'm like what a lovely character this Joker <laughs> guy I'm like this Joker guy's 
a good guy. <laughs> I, I really liked his affliction of laughing, his Tourette's, yeah. his laughing Tourette's, whatever it was. Do you think it was. he was real? Uh, you mean if there's a real affliction? No. Do you think, the char- for the character, do you think he's putting it on or do you think it, it is a oh, manifestation right. oh. of his nervous anxiety oh, and stuff? I thought that it was a yeah. manifestation of yeah, this. Yeah, good. Some people have kind of um, um, hypothesized that it's, that it's put on, mm. but I don't think, I don't think so. Mm. Hmm. I guess just since you bring up tension as well, um, I, I I couldn't help it but to kind of compare this Joker with other Jokers, mm-hmm. um, and specifically maybe to the most well one, one of the most more recent ones with Heath Heath Ledger yeah, and Dark yeah. Knight. And the thing about Heath Ledger's Joker is that there there's so much tension every time he's on screen. Yes. Right? You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and yet. Maybe because of the writing, he's still really funny. Yeah. Like the pencil trick scene, and you just remember. I remember sitting in the audience, and the audience kind of half laughing, half gasping, and and that yeah. feeling, which just was lacking from from this new movie. Yeah. And maybe it, you're right. Maybe Sarah, it's it's not it's not meant to be in this movie. Like maybe yeah. this movie just wants to be really really somber and morose, but it does to me take a little something out of it. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's really interesting to compare, and it's inevitable as well, to compare Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix, both mm. of whom I would say are absolute wordless, um, superlative actors. And Heath Ledger, I think, has a sort of a joie de vivre or a jollity about him that Joaquin doesn't. And we've never really thought of Joaquin Phoenix as anything other than a very, very good, serious actor. Um, well, in her, he's, he's pretty goofy. Yeah. I, I like that performance. Do you think? Yeah, I, look, I adore him in everything. To be honest, even as Jesus in Mary Magdalene. I mean, oh my gosh, which was not a great movie, but um, but he certainly has it. But he's always seemed to be much more earnest and all that sort of thing. And so I don't really know if it's the way that the film's made because it isn't a Christopher Nolan kind of caper. Um, or whatever. I, I think it's interesting, or maybe not interesting, only to me, but um, they dread, they definitely, as Joaquin's character is getting ready to, to go into uh, the TV studio and everything, his hair and everything is exactly like Dark Knight hair. Mm-hmm. It isn't like any of the other Jokers. So he, he, and as he's walking or ambling up and down those steps, um, <laughs> no, steps. in fact, it must be before he puts on the fabulous waistcoat and the beautiful red and green and gold. Mm. But there was there was definitely a lot of scenes where it, it was Ledger on on screen. I the, felt the scene where he's in the back of the police cruiser. I think like so many of them. He exactly just looks like exactly that, like him, and he moved like Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. and that's interesting mm. that Heath Ledger has made such an indelible mark on the. I, th- I do think on everybody's consciousness as joker and i don't think it's just because he died i think it's because he was amazing yeah i agree i I think just to transition into the king of comedy uh one of the one of the biggest connections for me in those films is that i found both films really stressful yeah Um, so with the king of comedy from the moment that um uh pupkin what's his name rupert rupert pupkin he he's he's managed to get into the car with the jerry lewis character he's back at his house and then when he just won't let him go i was getting really stressed out because yeah. i was like just this, the lack of social graces and awareness and mm. it really and i didn't know where this film was going i didn't mm. know that it was going to go to the dark place that it would go um i just thought i was in for a you know a, a sort of a, an all about eve um you know mentoring movie with maybe a bit of a twist but it was 
It was dark. So I just found it very, very stressful in the same way that I found the Joker very, very stressful. In, in a bit of a Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of cringy kind of way? Or? I think so, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love Curb Enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. So, hey, um, to, to draw a couple of comparisons, um, I really enjoyed how in King of Comedy, he's ca- the mother's calling from off screen. Now, she doesn't, she doesn't appear. Oh, true. Um, she doesn't true. appear and she's certainly not suffocated with a pillow. Oh, but, um, but she's always like, turn it down and all that kind of thing. He's like, mom, I'm doing the thing. And it's exactly <laughs> taken from it. Yeah. Um, anyway, interestingly, that was Catherine Scorsese's voice. That's Martin's mom, ah. um, who plays Joe Pesci's mom in Goodfellas yeah. 10 years later. And it's super cute that he's like, mom, I need a mom. Yeah. You won't be in this one, but just shout from. And you can, you can, the way it sounds in the 1982 movie, you can hear that she's just on the side of the set. Do you know what I mean? Delivering her lines. Um, but I thought that that was a really cute um, similarity. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to talk about the, the relationship with the women. Yeah, because there's, there's uh, well, the one that I was thinking of just then was um, the the assistant, Jerry Lewis's character's assistant oh, or yes. manager or whoever mm. she is. Yeah. The one that has to deal with... Um, Pupkin, Pupkin, yeah, the, that the stressed me out so, so much. much. She yeah. handled that brilliantly, though. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. Was I like, never thought it, yeah. she was going to be in danger because yeah. yeah. I thought she's got this. Yeah, she's like, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll listen to your tapes, and when you're when you're ready, uh, when you've got something on, we'll be happy to check it out. She felt like a really strong female character to me mm. for 1982. Mm-hmm. And let's bear in mind, I grew up on films through the 80s where I just assumed that women characters were the way that they were. Um, so to watch this back now is like quite reassuring. Mm. But yeah, and there's quite a few female characters through the whole section, wasn't there? Because there was the receptionist, and then there was Gosh, that her. poor receptionist. I know. <laughs> and oh. just to see her her expression, seeing this dude come back yeah. again, just and it took and her at least go three phone. goes go to get his name right. I'm <laughs> yeah. pretty sure. So, but I mean, also the relationship with the the love interest, because the thing in Joker, I mean, some people have been a bit kind of derisory about Joker and been like, oh, we didn't need the revelation spelt out for us that it was a fantasy. Well, I did. I did because I was annoyed. I was like, this is, she would not, he's being so creepy. Why would she respond this way? And then when it was revealed, I was like, oh, thank goodness. I I really, really did not. Didn't like Um, what, the flashback? The the, the flashbacks, the the flashback. Um, Because the moment where he goes into her apartment, and she says, you're, you're Arthur Thicke, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I figured that, that was... You that, know. Was, that was horrifying, and it yeah. was such a powerful moment. Right. And then it does the thing, the Fight Club thing. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah, the Fight it's Club so, thing. It's such clumsy, ham-fisted filmmaking. Yeah, fair it's enough. Like, hey, guys, enough. did you get it? Yeah. If you didn't, but you know this what? is, this Ma- is But you know what? Maybe somebody, like, they screen-tested or something, <laughs> and they're like, we need to make it really clear. I don't... I mean, I hear you. I didn't object to it so much that it ruined the film for me. But I agree it was unnecessary because you're right. It is such a great moment. And, I, I, and, and I just liked the moment that you're, the, the first moment. I liked that revelation. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because yeah. I was thinking this relationship is ridiculous. Like, look at her. She is freaking amazing and beautiful and, and, and so socially uh, well-rounded. Yeah. And here's this weirdo. Like, yeah. he's just very strange. And, like, the way that he makes weird comments and she's, like, laughing along. I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I was quite happy, regardless of the flashback. But I agree with you. It didn't need the flashback. Not but it was me, anyway. all... But the relationship was credible to me, even if it made me go, whoa, steady on, love. Like, when she's... Um, when they're looking at the TV and she's like, well, I think a whole bunch of people had it coming. Um, and then you realise she didn't say that and that's a manifestation mm-hmm. of his own subconscious. So, subconscious. 
But I really liked that that relationship was there for him because it made it all the more devastating that it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that the downside of King of Comedy, which can't really be blamed because it came first, but the downside for me of King of Comedy is it has that relationship with the woman and he's trying to get this relationship off the ground, but she does exist. She's not a fantasy for him. Do you know what I mean? The Diane Abbott character. I mean, weren't they really together in real life? I think him was, and Diane Abbott. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They're either married or, or they were a couple. Oh, that's not his current or recently ex-wife, though, that he's been with for donkey's years. Oh, I don't but, know. But maybe that maybe they were. Yeah. But um, It doesn't change your point. I'm just bringing it up. <laughs> but the other weird thing for me in King of Comedy is the Sandra Bernhardt character. Oh, she was brilliant. Yeah. Um, she was fantastic. She added a whole dynamic to that but movie. But she's that was also brilliant. a little bit cray-cray. Totally. I'm probably not allowed to say cray-cray, and I apologise to listeners. I don't mean to be... Um, stigmatizing or inappropriate and it's difficult when you're talking about like films around mental illness and I will try to use appropriate language but she is also obsessive yeah and I wonder whether that dilutes Pupkin ever so slightly because Arthur Fleck is the only one in his film who is having the delusions and the the I guess the psychosis and all that do you know what I mean yeah I know I loved I loved her character and I loved the fact that she came from money so she had yes like, <laughs> she had these resources and she had just become obsessed with the Jerry Lewis character, I can't remember. Jerry Langford. Langford. Yeah. Do you know that they had a different name, and he 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 asked them to change it because he knew people would call out his name on the street, and a lot of the people that call out Jerry oh, on the street so were just cool. genuine people. Right, I, I wanted it. That was so cute. <laughs> hey, Jerry. The yeah. scenes, they were, they were wonderful scenes where yeah. he comes down and he's walking along, and he was so witty. Yeah. Like honestly, I was like, I would use that line. That is fantastic. You know, you should see me in my white tulle or whatever it <laughs> is. You know, but um, and I wondered whether those were just civilian. And they're just like, all oh, right, rolling, and oh, that was, that was wonderful. And Sandra Bernhardt, I mean, a lot of it was improvised, so a lot of her stuff was right. improvised, and it was just terrifying. But and the fact he's like sitting there completely taped up, yeah. And she's like, I've dreamed of this moment yeah. for so long, and it was totally great. It was totally great, yeah. And I think absolutely, in its 1982 context, or just within the context of King of Comedy, that totally works for me. Yeah. But I guess I'm just saying by by way of comparison, yeah, dear enough. old Arthur Fleck, not having any ally. Nor the actual relationship is much darker and more painful, you know. I think in 1982, you, you know, you can get away with Sandra Bernhard running down the street in her underwear and yes. high heels. Yes, I don't think yeah. you can get away with no. that. Now. I mean, it's New York. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, she's super fun. But but the um oh gosh that that entire sequence it because it keeps cutting back right because you never. Yeah. You never really see Pupkin's show until the very, very end. Which is yeah. nicely done, is isn't awesome. it? Yeah. You see him go on, right and you see him funny. come off. And he's really yeah. funny, yes. and because you, you don't see him at all, eh? Mm-hmm. Be, you, you never see any of his Because you, you see the see FAI it. agent's like reaction to it. Yeah. So you see when he goes into the, pub, the yeah. bar, and he turns, can I change the channel, yeah. and he's yeah. impressing. But then it keeps intercutting back to the house, mm. and to see Jerry Lewis, I think he, he does such wonderful things with just his face, mm. he can't speak. And you're just <laughs> stewing in like fury, and and kind of just the the, the ludicrous the ludicrousness of this entire mm. situation, and of course when he finally grabs the gun and it fires nothing but BB bullets, yeah, I mean, yeah. and she kind of winces when it hits her belly. <laughs> like it's yeah. such a comedic moment played yeah. beautifully. Yeah, isn't that excruciating when they go to the house? I know, and I was yeah. like. To my husband, I was like, is this a fantasy? And he was like, of course it is. And then we were like, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't think it is. And what makes that scene so brilliant is the um, is the uh, his girl, the girl he brings. And the way mm. that she's, she realizes when you start seeing mm. things, oh my mm. gosh. 
this is not planned. Mm. And also the um, the, the butler character. Yeah. And how he's just so angry and embarrassed. <laughs> and, like, and, and you know that moment where he can't open the door? Yeah. That wasn't scripted. That's, he just genuinely couldn't open the door. So then when Jerry Lewis's character calls him a name or something, you know, it's just improv- improvised. Oh, There's a lot of great. like moments in that movie that yeah. just... And he just stands there holding a golf club like, what yeah. the hell is happening? Yeah. <laughs> It's that, that was, yeah, so that just the, the growing sense of unease and like, oh man, I just couldn't, yeah, th- those, those moments for me were just brilliant because it was so horrible to watch and I tell you what, the, the film starts with the sequence of um, people sort of harassing Jerry Lewis's character and then they're trying to get into the, I think Sandra Bernhardt's character's in his car yes. and she starts screaming and then she's banging on the window and then it kind of freezes yes. and then the title sequence happens yes. and I'm like, Wow, this is a really strange type image to freeze on. Like it's very yeah. aggressive. It's got this fan obsessing over him, and of course, that's exactly what the film is going to become. So it's it's quite a good. But we don't know that she's really a fan at the time. No, we no. think maybe she's a girlfriend or something, yeah. and she's already in the limo, and she's like, like let me out of here. Or it was just it was very odd. It was very brave. Yeah, and it's very I guess post seventies kind of you know Scorsese mm. and Coppola and all those guys doing their thing. Yeah, in their most authentic way. You know, it really reminded me of a lot of films at that time. So when she's sitting there having the dinner and there's candles everywhere. Yeah, I mean that's exactly like 1982's Blade Runner with the, yeah. the, the you know the candlelit scene <laughs> of the top of the pyramid, and also a lot of the intercutting and fantasy sequence and just the harshness of the cuts mm. was very of that time. Like again, like think about all that jazz, which is all about fantasy sequences. Mm. And there was definitely a lot of things of its time, and I'm, I'd be interested to know how much of, of it was just the way that Scorsese rolled, yeah, or how much of it was stylistic choices that were mm. very much of their time. It's um it's Thelma Schumann. Schumacher, isn't it? Who's his regular editor, I think. And but she's not his editor yet in that film. She's on the she's on the um, she's in the credits. Yeah. Uh, and I can't remember. She's not post production supervisor, but something or other post production y, but not yet uh, editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of thing is interesting. Can I just say though? Oh, I really want to give a shout out to Todd Phillips, whom I did think was just a hangover type guy. Um, I thought Joker was a beautiful oh, film. Absolutely. I thought it was stunningly photographed. I thought that the production design goes without saying was amazing, but also the costuming, particularly at the end when he is in the the, the yellow. It's almost Dick Tracy like actually the yellow, the burgundy, and you notice that in the background of these quite the like Gotham City as he's making his way to the studio is very kind of like blur, but there's bright yellow and bright red and the signage around everywhere, and. Um, and I thought that was beautiful. And and I don't even remember the music other than I thought the music was stunning. Mm. I, I agree with you. It's impeccable yeah. filmmaking. Yes. And, and the pacing of the film, the way it builds. I mean, yes. it was a long movie. And mm-hmm. I didn't. And I felt that it was long, but I didn't feel disgruntled that it was long. I was yeah. quite happy to be sitting there for however long it was. And the, the scenes in the film, in the TV studio, were just wonderful yes. to look at. Yes, Um in my so my only issue my only issues with the movies are movie is the, the kind of way it represented the Batman sure. mythology and also just the the, yeah. the darkness of it and just how depressing it was to sit through which again could very much be where I was at mm. at the time. Oh look, I, I I think it's supposed to be. I mean, okay, we haven't really talked about the underlying themes and whatnot, but I wonder how many people watched it and went, yeah, maybe the rich people had it coming. I did enjoy uh, the commentary on Batman coming from wealth because <clears throat> I don't think that's been something that has really been addressed in this way in the Batman 
uh, mythology. Mm. Uh, it was definitely it felt like a bit of a, a, a cheap shot to make Bruce Wayne's father such an asshole. Yeah. Well, because in there, I, I so I rewatched Batman Begins the other day because I had it in my head that it was an amazing film, and I rewatched it, and it wasn't amazing at all. But it was the first <laughs> of the Nolan kind of goes, <laughs> and so I'm going to rewatch Dark Knight and enjoy that a bit more. But I did rewatch Batman Begins because I wanted to see, okay, well, what is Bruce Wayne's uh, origin story? And oh yeah, wonderful father. Yeah, Thomas Wayne is like a living saint Absolutely. in that movie. Yeah. He's a philanthropist, a doctor. The Wayne family ran the Underground Railroad. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind. He's like when you fall, you get back up, yeah. and it's how you what learn. Do we do when we fall? And, you know, like he's the greatest dad, and all yeah. all the stuff. I don't. I wouldn't mind if that um, the storyline of of uh, Thomas Wayne being not as not as great as he was, perhaps was being a Batman story, like mm. and him like it's like the Iron Man sort of you know yeah. figuring out about your father issues. I yeah. think that's okay. But to give that to Joker, I just feel like it was a bit of a cheap shot. No, I disagree. Only because Joker is from Joker's perspective. You know, if you look at the Joker film as being Joker's lens, it isn't unreasonable that he would, as I say, think he might be the brother, think Mm. that this guy might have been the dad who did him a disservice. And so for him to only see things through that lens is credible, because we are talking, whether we like it or not, we are talking about an origin story. And Todd Phillips and his writer has... um, you know, they're trying to give us reasoning for why Joker is how he is. And so if it is because he's completely wrong about the world, then that's fine, but that's why. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. For me, I just, I guess I wanted the film to really go places, uh, Joker, that is, yeah. and, and it, it didn't. I, I felt like the ending was way too safe, mm. if that makes any sense. Um, because, yes, like, huge social changes happening, but in terms of what's happening with our characters, mm. I can't believe... They did the, the Wayne murders again mm. uh, with Martha Wayne's pearls yes, flying yes, off the screen yeah, again. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't believe that they, they did all this stuff in service of something that we've seen a billion times. And wouldn't it be cool, and maybe this is just a what-if thing, mm. but if, if they went, really, really went out there and differentiated themselves and said, like, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something unique and different, and maybe Bruce Wayne dies. Or maybe Joker does end up shooting himself in the head on TV. And it's just this really weird, oddball kind of diversion from the DC universe that Uh, is unique and stands on its own. It doesn't have to have these stupid connections to the Batman mythos. Yeah. Even though Batman, you know, is in it. You can tell a story that that doesn't have to feel beholden to continuity. Mm, So I don't know if you know this, William, but in Hollywood, something (laughs) they're driven by quite a lot is money. (laughs) And so you don't really want to cut all your options off. Because it felt very much to me like the minute that they do a Joker 2, the Mm. uprising, or whatever the heck, I'm in there. It'll be disappointing, I tell you that for free. But I'm in there. Because I do want to see the trajectory that, that Mm. was so hinted at but then was we were so robbed of because the titles rolled. And you can't get away with mm. completely... Well, actually, in some films like Terminator and whatnot, you can, can't you? You, you just can have doing a, it. <laughs> you can just have a completely different um, thread, though, that goes off into a crazy way. Um, you know, non sequitur, but the old Linda Hamilton one that's coming out soon and I'm seeing it on Wednesday and I can't wait. You know what I mean? I do get that. Which that ignores Terminators 3, three and, to... Right, 3 it, to whatever. oblivion, which is good that it does. But yeah, so it's taking liberties. But I mean, look, I hear what you're saying and I think there is a world where that would have been an amazing and brave and interesting thing to do. 
but this is not that world, <laughs> you know? And, and just one more thing I want to bring up, um, Sarah and Jeremy, is what do you think about the endings of King of Comedy and Joker? Specifically, do you think they're both fantasies? Like they're, they're all in their mind. Because King Comedy ends on that really weird moment where, you know, Rupert is out on stage and the MC just keeps repeating his name. And he's kind of standing there a little uneasy and a little, you know, kind of, okay, I'm in the spotlight now. I'm famous. What do I do now? Um, and then, I don't know about you guys, but my mind flashed back to all the fantasy scenes and thinking, oh gosh, was, was that whole final sequence all in his head? And similarly, Joker, I don't think Joker's as averse as that, but just the final scenes with him and the therapist running around Arkham, kind of, it really, really has a lot of visual, you know, mirroring with his fantasy scenes before. Mm. And there's a lot of discourse about, you know, did the home going on the show and killing Robert De Niro, did any of that actually happen? Mm. So, I don't know, what do you think? I don't like, and they woke up and it was all a dream. <laughs> Quite honestly, that's a not achieved from me. I, so. I, I just feel like the, the question that it poses, uh, I don't mind it so much in The King of Comedy, because I do feel like there is a sort of a, there is a sense of... And now what? Yeah, it's just sort of a bit more unsettled. But the Joker, I'm like, oh, like, if it's all in his head or it isn't, I mean, it's... It's not like Inception, right? Where the question mm. is the film. Like, mm, mm, what is reality? Yeah. That's the question. And mm. it ends with the spinning top. Mm. It's, it just seems like a bit of a... Eh. <laughs> I think we have to assume that it's real. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to, but that's my choice too. Um, because Joker has... We know that Joker becomes something. And, uh, and therefore, all that stuff has to happen um, in order for him to become what he becomes. Including the uh, locked up in Arkham Asylum to then develop his skills presumably for joker 2 the uprising and uh, uh which i am writing as we speak no yeah. man joker made so much money you guys i'm gonna go see it again for an r-rated movie i, I just i guess is it the comic book thing right because if you think about king of comedy which as you say jeremy is the absolute flop mm. like understandably so it is an uncomfortable movie to watch maybe mm. back in the 80s as well Whereas Joker, think about it, if he didn't have that Batman connection, it wouldn't have made God knows how much no. money it's made. And it's it's kind of a mean trick, actually, yeah. on all the people who didn't read ahead and realise that it is not a superhero movie. <laughs> and I have no sympathy for them because I thought it was a terrific film in and of itself and I, I liked the way it was handled. But I wonder how many are just kind of either disappointed or just kind of like sideswiped and like, whoa, that was not what, what I was expecting. I don't know. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, which are all great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, kakite anō.